It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode of Bookmarked is brought to you by Libro FM. Get two books for the price of one with your first month of membership using the code BOOKSTACKED. Again, use promo code BOOKSTACKED when you start your membership at Libro.fm. Or check the show notes for a quick link to get started. Offer only valid for new members in the U.S. and Canada. My name is Chelsea Regan, and welcome to the Bookmark Podcast. Today, I will be talking with Haley Krischer, a journalist and author whose latest book, The Falling Girls, investigates female friendship in high school and the truly heartbreaking experience of growing apart from the people you don't want to let go. I really enjoyed this one, and I can't wait to ask her all about it. So let's get started. Hey, Haley. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Hi, Chelsea. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Like I said, I loved your book, and I'm so excited to talk to you about it. That makes me very happy. Of course. So I always like to start off, if you could just give our listeners a brief introduction to you and to your latest book. Okay, yes. So as you said, I'm a journalist and an author. I've been a journalist for probably over 20 years. I write often for the New York Times, and I've written for a whole lot of other places like Marie Claire and the former Lenny Letter and the former Hairpin and lots of former places on the Internet that no longer exist. I've been writing for, I got my MFA in creative writing probably about 13 years ago, and I've always wanted to write. I've always written short stories. I've always tried to write books and never really quite succeeded until my last book, which came out last year, Something Happened to Ellie Greenleaf, which I had been working on for like also 20 years. So I've always been writing some form or another, screenplays, poems, short stories, you name it. So this is my second novel. It's called The Falling Girls, and it is about Shade and Jadis, who are two best friends. They are as close as can be, completely inseparable. They share clothes. They sleep in bed together. They use each other's deodorant. They give each other stick and poke tattoos. They use the same toothbrush. Like they're completely intertwined or codependent, if you want to say. Then one day, Shade decides that she wants to join the cheerleading team. Now, Shade has like a background in gymnastics. And so this feels like a very natural progression for her. And so she's always dragging Jadis to like pep rallies and stuff. And Jadis is always making fun of her, but she goes along with it because they're best friends. But this is the first time that Shade is like, actually, I want to be on the team. And this is completely shocking to Jadis. And what makes it even worse is that Shade 
is very drawn into this friendship with these three girls who are like sort of the head click of the cheerleading team and they all have the same name, Chloe. And so Jadis is just disgusted. She feels betrayed. She can't believe that Shade is actually hanging out and friends with these girls. And so it's about a couple weeks into the homecoming game and Shade is like really working hard and she's like really getting into the physicality of it and she says to Jadis, thinking like, okay, I'm going to sort of bring all my friends together. You know, how about you come to the homecoming dance with me? And, and so they get to the homecoming dance, and then a lot of different things happen that I don't really want to spoil, but it ends up that one of the cheerleaders dies. And Shade starts to wonder if Jadis has something to do with it, and she is you know, deeply upset about this and she needs to figure out what happened and she feels responsible. Like she's the one who brought Jadis to the homecoming dance. And if Jadis had something to do with it, then does it mean that she ultimately has something to do with it? So yeah, that's the premise of the whole book. But it's also, you know, really about these friendships between these girls and sort of how they're figuring out how they feel about each other and sort of that intoxicating feeling that you get when you have a, get a new friend and how connected you feel and do you still feel connected to another friend and is that friendship sort of waning and the heartbreak that kind of goes along with it. Yeah, no spoilers, but the homecoming dance stuff happens. It is a wild time. What's so great about The Falling Girls, what I really enjoyed is that the story both feels really familiar. Like you were saying, it's a story about several high school friendships, a cheerleading team, all these elements that we've definitely seen in stories before. But it's also the way that you've gone with it and the sort of twists and turns that happens are all so unique and new. And I was wondering what inspired you sort of on a broad level to tell this really specific story and where these characters and this idea came from. This really came from my fascination with the Skylar Nice case. She was murdered in 2012 by two of her best friends. She was 16 years old. It's really devastating, and I read an article about it in Elle magazine so many years ago, and so when my editor asked me what I wanted to write about for my second book, I said, I really want to write about female friendships and, like, what happens before you get to that murder point. Because obviously the girls who murdered her are sociopaths or psychopaths, however you want to define them, but everything leading up to the murder I was really fascinated by that because I feel like, you know, I definitely had my share of friendship breakups in high school and after high school. Female relationships are just so important to us as women because our nature is really just to kind of hone in and, you know, we take care of people. That's just who we are sociologically. And so what happens when you get into a stressful situation or an argument with your best friend? You don't want to flee. Even if they're acting horribly or even if you're acting horribly, you still want to go towards each other to hash it out and figure it out and understand what's happening and why this is happening. And so that really fascinated me, especially with the different friendships that I've had over my life and the kinds of friendships that I had in high school. They were so intense and so much more intense than romantic relationships that I wanted to focus on that. Yeah, and I think you've captured that really, really well here. I was actually wondering, because you have created in the book this community or this group of women 
they're vibrant and they're deeply flawed and in that way just very real people and all really unique characters despite the fact that like you said three of them have the same name <laughs> three of them are named Chloe but they're all very different but what did strike me was that your book had a complete lack of male characters not that there weren't guys around but I can't even remember anybody's name honestly like they just were not important elements of the story and in the story about female friendship and how sort of wonderful and difficult that connection can be I love that none of the conflict came from fighting about or over or for a guy it just was not an element at all I was wondering if that was a conscious choice in writing or it was just kind of a byproduct of the story that you wanted to tell there just really weren't any male characters it was super conscious and I'm sort of of the Alison Bechdel theory of that. I just didn't want any men to exist. I mean, there is a guy. Jadis has a very close friend who ends up being actually an integral part of a plot piece. And then there's also Jadis's brother sort of involved, too. But yes, like you said, they're really side characters. I just wasn't really interested in the guy's perspectives. I just didn't really care what the guy's had to say. Just, no, I think that's wonderful. <laughs> it just really had nothing to do with them, and I didn't need them to tell my story. And that's really it. I'm just so much more interested in women's perspectives and about what happens between women if there's no men around. And I didn't want it to seem like, oh, they broke up because of a boy or they broke up because of this. Or I just wanted it to really delve into them and who they were. Yeah. And I will say, I did think that at the end of the book, too. I was like, this passes the Bechdel test with extreme flying colors. Like, this should be the actual test. Yes. <laughs> I yes, think yes, yes. I mean, you hear that so much that the professional <laughs> test is literally the bar is so low and how sad it is that so many things don't meet it. And it's like, no, these women were having so many deep conversations and had nothing to do with men. It was purely about them and their relationships. And I love that that was a conscious choice, too, that you were like, I don't need them to tell this story. They don't need to be a yeah. part of it at all. And also, Shade and Jadis, they don't hate men at all. In fact, Jadis, one of her closest friends, happens to be a guy. I specifically made him a jock, this football player, sort of like a meathead. His name is Dave Sozo, and she loves just playing ping pong with him and talking about Sylvia Plath. You know, that's because I had a best friend in high school who happened to be the captain of the football team. And, you know, by the time I was a senior in high school, like, those things just didn't matter. Oh, you, you were the captain of the football team? Oh, really? Oh, okay. That's great. I, I had no idea. You know, I knew you played football. I just didn't know where you existed. <laughs> and from my last book, Something Happened to Ellie Greenleaf, the captain of the soccer team was this horrible, horrific Brett Kavanaugh rapist. And I just needed to make the boys in just a much better light because I have a 17-year-old son who's a lovely person and his friends are lovely people. And I have a husband who's a lovely person, and the guys, I didn't need them to do anything where people were going to be upset or cause any conflict for anyone. No, I love that, because that's almost the position that women have been in stories for so long, of like, they're here, but they're not, like, moving the story along or anything. They're just, you know, half the population, so they're around. And I, I love that about your book, because you never see that, especially with stories about women or girls having arguments or fights. You never see that it's it's not about a guy. There's so much more going on in high school than guys. And your book portrays that just beautifully. And I loved it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think also when I'm writing about high school and, of course, thinking about myself and my own experiences, I think that my female friendships, even though I had boyfriends, they weren't all that serious and 
I don't think my first real serious, serious boyfriend was until after high school. And still, my girlfriends are still more important to me, so... Definitely. And we've been sort of talking about the characters, but I wanted to talk a little bit about some of them, maybe more specifically. And I want to start with Shade. She's the main character. She's the person we sort of see the whole story through. But so much of her story is this internal struggle of wanting to take care of the people that she loves and wanting to be there for them and wanting to see the best in them. But she's also wants to go after the things she wants. She wants to make herself happy. And I think that's such a relatable struggle. I think any woman of any age, this idea of how do I balance taking care of people with the things that will actually make me happy and taking care of myself. And so I was hoping you just talk a little bit more about developing her character and developing that internal conflict that she was having. Yeah, I knew that I wanted to be very unapologetic about Shade wanting to be a cheerleader. Even though she felt uncomfortable about it, I wanted her to, to want it. Because why are you reading the story otherwise? If this girl is sort of ambivalent about it, then why is anyone going to care? She has to want it so that you follow her into this different world. Because it's just such a different world for her. And in fact, I had made her mother feminist in a way that like second wave or third wave feminist. I'm not really sure. I think maybe second wave I originally had her mom extremely judgmental, like Jade is outed Jade about being a cheerleader and her mom flipped out, like, how could you? And oh my God, and how could you do such a thing? But I thought I wanted Jade's mom to just be a lot more understanding than that. And I wanted her to have that understanding side of her, which is why Jade has that understanding side of her. And as I was writing it, that sort of came together more that it felt wrong for Shade's mom to be so against it that even though she felt like, okay, this is new, this is happening, you know, what does this mean? You know, she wasn't stupid. And so once I freed that up, it allowed me to let Shade delve into this other world where moms look as if they're better mothers than her own mother and moms sign papers on time, and moms don't have all their crazy friends coming over all the time. But then as Shade started to see how other families are, like really open her eyes, that Chloe Orbeck looks perfect on the outside and is not and has her own serious struggles with her own mother. She started looking then at herself and saying, oh, actually, maybe my mother isn't so bad. You know, when you're that age, and especially for me, when I was that age, you're very much in the shadow of not just your friends, but you're in the shadow of your parents and trying to understand your identity. And so this is like a psychological thriller, but it's also like a real coming of age story because it has so much identity questioning and delving into identity and who am I and where do I exist in this world? And so I hope that answers your question about all of Shay's internal struggles. I think she was kind of fascinated by pissing people off, too. I mean, truthfully. Yeah, I love that because she has all these different components of her like real people do. Everybody's got different pieces. And I think that idea, too, of like the grass is greener and there's something better, a better family out there until you start to see you're like, eh, maybe mine's not so bad. Maybe I should be grateful for the people I have that love me. I liked that evolution for her. And I think you're absolutely right. This book is a combination of a coming-of-age high school story with a psychological thriller, and that is part of what made it so interesting and fun is because 
there was both this mystery you were trying to solve while at the same time watching these people grow and have genuine moments. And I think her other big relationship that you've talked a lot about with her best friend, Jadis, is really interesting because on the surface you talked about maybe codependent is a word for it. They're very, very close. I think sometimes we can glorify the idea of having a best friend who's that close to us and having someone in our life who's like sharing our toothbrush. How wonderful would that be? But what you do so brilliantly is you point out how really problematic that kind of relationship can be for both sides. And I don't want to spoil anything, but I also really always appreciate whenever a story, especially a story in YA and a story about high schoolers, encourages their characters to seek out the mental health services that they need. And I think you did a really wonderful job of that in this book. But I was just wondering, in creating that bond between Jadis and Shade, was that something that came from your own life? And then how did you find that contentious point between them? Where I think a lot of people might just see like, what a beautiful friendship. Yeah, well, I'm very visual and I have all of these. If you looked around my office, you will see that I have all of these boards and I just print out pictures and pictures and pictures for each book that I'm writing or story or whatever I'm writing. And so for this, I found myself just printing out tons of pictures of like the virgin suicides and all the pictures of the girls just sort of meshed together. Where does one start and one end? And I kept thinking of how in Girls, the TV show, Lena Dunham and her best friend Marnie in the show, how they were like wrapped up in each other, you know, and sleep in the same bed together and took a bath in the room together. And I thought, oh, I totally did that with my best friends and still do. My best friends that I have now were always like soaking in a tub or finding a hot tub to soak in. A very important piece. And I think that's about stripping down who you are. And that vulnerability, and that's not easy for everybody. And it can also lead to being too much in a relationship, you know. And so if you don't have those boundaries, what happens if somebody new comes into the picture? What happens about me having my own life? What happens about me having my own opinion that's different than yours? Does it crush you? Does it demolish you? There's something that happens towards the end that, Jadis and Shade have a conversation and made me so sad to write it. Shade says, she was my friend. And Jadis is like, that kills me. Because I knew you were friendly with them. I knew you were on the team with them. But that to say the word friend, how could you? Other iterations of this book, the breakup between Shade and Jadis were much more volatile. I think it had to do with writing this in a pandemic. I had them like, on top of each other and then beating the crap out of each other and shade and Chloe Orbach beating the crap out of each other. I had so many volatile things happening. So I think writing it during a pandemic definitely brings out a lot of rage and a lot of intense feelings. So I think that has something to do with it too. That would have been a wildly different book. I feel like if they were like, yeah. Having physical altercations all the time. They were. And my editor was like, well, let's take this down a notch. I don't think you need this. <laughs> and I'm like, why? You don't want her to drag her across a driveway of pebbles? You know, when you have such intense relationships, they can sometimes go the other way. Like my best friend from growing up, she and I would laugh about this one 
physical fight that we almost had. And we were both 18. I don't know what happened, but I guess she used to make like a resting bitch face before that name even existed. And what you do is you sometimes you poke, right? Like I see that with my son and, and his friends. And so I was poking at her a little bit. Why are you making that face? Why are you making that face? And I was being annoying. And she started yelling at me like really, really intensely got in my face. And then I really got into her face and somebody from behind us started yelling. And it was one of those things that happened so quickly. It was like seconds, but someone saw it and started yelling, fight, fight, fight. And the two of us at the same time in unison turned to that person and said, shut up. And then that was it. The whole thing was over. And we still laughed at it. How bizarre that was. And it's because I think you do elicit that from each other when sometimes you just are so intense that it becomes this electric so and I really appreciated the complexity in their relationship because I do think sometimes especially I think in high school stories you get this idea that's like they're the best of friends and everything was perfect and magical usually until a boy comes along but like that's the story and the story that you told between them just felt so much more real and so much more honest to I think my experience, especially in high school, but I think with my female friends, sort of the ebb and flow that can come with having female friendships and how that's okay. And again, I don't want to spoil anything, but I think there's a real message at the end of this book that I love that, like, it's okay sometimes to let a friend drift a little bit further apart if that's going to make the two of you stronger as people and allow you both to grow and heal and do what you need to do for yourselves. I feel like we don't see that enough with stories about kids in high school. It's always like they're graduating college and the best friend is moving across the country. And what will they do? It's like they'll find other friends. They'll be okay. You're okay. I did want to touch on because there's one more character who really likes your story. And I want to talk a little bit about her. And that's Chloe Orbach. She is the head cheerleader. She is the lady in charge. And I've said it a bunch now, but you did such a wonderful job of creating these real characters and I think it would be so easy for Chloe Orbach to be that sort of stereotypical popular head cheerleader, like she's strutting down the hallway and the C's part for her, and that's who she is. Watching things like that, I always wonder, like, how does that person earn respect? Like, it has to be either through fear or intimidation. Like, no one's looking at that girl and is like, she's the greatest human. They're like, get out of her way. But, but Chloe, in your book, actually does use charm and these genuine connections with people and supportiveness and encouragement. And that's how she gains her respect and her admiration. And the reason that everyone around her kind of is in this cyclone of her with her at the eye. And it's not to say she doesn't also have her issues. We do hear some stories about her much more cruel behavior, but the whole time I, I really just found it really difficult to dislike her. Like any moment I was hearing something not so great about her, I was like, but she, I, I don't know. And so I was really curious about your relationship with Chloe as you were writing the book. Did you see her more as the head cheerleader villain character or was she more like a victim of circumstance? Maybe just sort of a true friend who was doing her best? All of the above. I like to write characters who are genuinely flawed and sometimes really unlikable because I think that's how we are, right? Teenagers are just women in general. That's just how we are. Nobody's perfect. You know, I was obsessed with Heathers. It came out when I was a senior in high school. And so, of course, there's an element of Heather Chandler, Chloe Orbach. And, and I've watched Heathers so many times since then. And it's obviously was the inspiration for the three Chloes. 
But I couldn't just have her just be this mean person because then why would they follow her? Why would they do all the things? These days, it just doesn't happen like that anymore, where you can just accept that there's this one-dimensional character. And so I also really liked Chloe Orbeck a lot, and I felt for her because I think she wanted out of her identity too, and she also didn't know how to get out of it. And then she had this mom who was so awful and cringy, and she really liked that Shade was an outsider, which sort of goes back to Heather's because I would think about why did the Heathers pick Veronica? If she's an outsider, why would they pick Veronica? Was it because they wanted to do something with her or they wanted to make her into one of them? They didn't. Veronica was never one of them. She was always on the outskirts. And so I sort of was playing with that idea that Jade was Veronica and Chloe Orbeck was Heather Chandler. And I then started kind of falling in love with their friendship and liked the idea of her wanting to know about the tattoos and her wanting to understand what Shade was about. There's a scene where Chloe comes over and brings everybody these rolls of turkey and things to drink. I think that people who are in charge, even if they're not the nicest people or even if they're like irritated or there's something that you're drawn to about them. They can't just be all awful. This is a question I kept asking myself. And I think this is like a good character sort of thing that you have to ask yourself when you're writing a character. So if Shade has always been an outsider, she has nothing to lose. If she's like, you know what, F these girls, I'm going back to Jadis. Yeah, that's codependent. Yeah, I wanted to break out of that, but I could easily have my life back. I had to make it so that Shade wanted to stay. You know, otherwise, why is she there? She's been doing this as an outsider for a long time. She didn't need these girls. Chloe had to sort of pull her in a little bit. What I really loved about that, too, because I think I'm so conditioned to expect that character to turn on the outsider. I think Mm -hmm. from things like Heather and those kind of stories – I'm, like, waiting for the moment where she gets mean. And there's beautiful sequence on train tracks where mm. it's just the two of them. And I kept waiting for that moment, and it never came. And it was both surprising but really nice. It was like that YA cliche of letting out the breath that you didn't know you were holding. But it was. I was like, this is a genuine friendship. They are genuinely connecting right now. This is not about humiliation or power dynamics or any of the things you'd maybe expect from that moment. And I think there are moments where we do connect with someone who feels different than us, or if we feel like the outsider connecting with someone who's in the cool group in that moment can feel a little scary, but also you have that moment of, no, this is genuine. I am connecting to this other person, and the other person is connecting with me. The person in the cool group isn't some mythical monster of humiliation and evil. They're a real person, too, looking for the same kind of connection. Mm. And so I, I loved that scene, and I really loved her character. We've talked a lot about it. We haven't talked about it specifically, but I love the inclusion of cheerleading in this story. I thought that was such a good thing that Shade wanted to be a part of, and you could understand why Jadis and her mom were like, cheerleading, really? But at the same time, the way that you wrote the cheerleading was so specific, because I feel like sometimes... In high school stories, cheerleading can become this kind of stereotypical descriptor where it's like, she's a cheerleader and that's all you need to know. Like, that says everything. But you describe cheerleading here so much more as the sense of community these girls have and this team that they're a part of, but also the sport. Mm. I remember watching the docuseries on Netflix, Cheer, and I remember having such a visceral reaction every time they would 
throw one of those girls up and catch her, that sound it would make of her hitting their arm, you tense up a little bit because you know how much force is coming down and how physical what these people are doing is. And your writing was really reminiscent of that, of the specific things that they were doing and the way that they were manipulating their bodies and the tricks and stunts that they were doing really gave me the same feeling of like, this is a physical activity. This is a sport. And so I was wondering about the research process for you of creating this cheerleading team and getting that on the page in such a specific and, like I said, visceral way. Oh, well, I worked really, really hard on that. So thank you so much. My editor happened to have been a college cheerleader. So that was an enormous just leg up because if I was studying something on YouTube and I thought, what is the word for it? They're doing a backhand spring, backhand spring, whatever. What is this? And so she would say, oh, no, they have to transition this way. You know, she would correct me and we went over every single thing as if it was it was mechanical. We went over in a very mechanical way, and it would become very tedious, making sure it was right. But I wanted to make sure, and she wanted to make sure, that any cheerleader who read it was not going to be like, oh, they screwed this up. That's not a real thing. And so it did take a very long time to make sure I had those stunts correct. So that was one piece of it. I also watched Cheer and also Heart of Gold, the documentary by Aaron Carr, about the gymnastics who were raped by Nasser, And I actually had worked on something with the judge in that case for a different project. And so I got very involved in, like, listening to their stories about gymnastics and what it meant to, like, use your body as a weapon. And so that, along with Megan Abbott's book, Dare Me, had very much of that all of these cheerleaders really using their body as a weapon. So I think all of that, I did not want to make it light. Shade was not going to join this team, just be la, 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 you know, just kind of wave her hands around. She was committing herself and her body to this. And it was like really serious. Like somebody could hurt her and she could get really hurt and she could hurt somebody else. You know, and so I just have so much respect for cheerleaders who compete and just sideline cheerleaders, too. I was a sideline cheerleader in high school for a very, very brief period of time, and I am very embarrassed to admit that I was the worst cheerleader on earth, constantly was getting kicked off the team and not showing up to practice. Just an absolute disaster and train wreck, and the girls could not have been nicer. And so that was like a bouncing off point for me of, I think I'm always just fascinated by cheerleaders. And I wanted Shade to be the opposite of me. (laughs) I wanted her to be like a really good cheerleader. I wanted her to take it seriously. This is not a joke. You know, I'm using my body in a very serious way, and this is sport, and I could get a concussion. I could break my arm or break a rib. Like you were saying that you could hear that crunch every time those girls would get caught by somebody, and, like, you could hear ribs cracking. Obviously, they weren't at that level, the team that I created, but they're doing stunts, and they made it really clear that you had to trust each other. And there's your answer. Guilt from being the worst cheerleader on the planet. This is my apology letter to my high school cheerleading team. I'm sorry. That was so awful. That. <laughs> that's amazing. No, that's that's great. The moment where I realized that Shade wanted to join the team not to make friends with these girls or not to be like cool or to be a cheerleader. She wanted to join the team 
because the physical activity is what she was after. That specific type of physicality was what she was chasing was another surprise just because I think, mm. again, cheerleading sometimes in our heads means something other than what cheerleading actually is. And I think you bridged that gap really nicely. I love what you just said, too, because it made me think about how the cheerleading is this like physical manifestation of the trust these girls have to have and how tricky and difficult that trust is when you're a girl at that age and you're trying to figure things out. Not only do you have to trust your friends with your secrets or your comfort or your insecurities, but you also, these girls have to trust each other with their lives and with their physical well-being. You had a line in there about how I think football players have all this protection and all they had was like a two-inch mat on the floor. And it's like, yeah, that is pretty wild. Not even if you go to like a high school football game. The girls are doing stunts right on the track. There's nothing underneath them, you know? And when they're doing stunts on the grass, like, say, in the middle, like the girls in my book are, there's nothing there. They've got no protection whatsoever, and it's mind-blowing. And if you look at the studies, actually, in practices, high school cheerleading is second to football practices for people getting concussions. So high school cheerleaders are getting, I don't know if it's just as many concussions as high school football players are, but they're only second to them. So dangerous, really dangerous. Yeah. And you could definitely feel that in your writing. And it's funny too, because they're in this sort of dangerous situation in that there is this element of your book that is a psychological thriller and someone does die. But also just the thing that they're doing every day is in of itself a really dangerous and potentially life or death situation. And all of that just made the story so much more suspenseful. I said this before we started recording, but I did. I read this book in like three days. I just had to know what was happening. You can't put it down. I wanted to finish up because you've mentioned it a couple of times, and I would just love to know more because I'm so interested. Along with being an incredible novelist, you are also a very longtime journalist. So you talked a little bit about how there is a specific case that inspired this story, but I was wondering in a more general way how – Reporting on true events can affect your process of writing. Well, that's such a good question. You know, I'm probably, I realized about myself that I'm a real research junkie. That has to do with why I'm writing stories and why journalism is still like a really important part of my life. I'm also a pop culture junkie. And so I think between those two things, whatever I'm doing that like falls into whatever I'm working on. And so Whatever it is, I sometimes over-research or over-delve into it, you know, even if it seems like the most unimportant thing. Like right now I have a story that's going to be coming out soon in the near time on the style section about the anatomy of a cheer mom. You know, as I was writing this book, I just became so fascinated with, like, who are these people, right? But for real, who are they? Because it's just not an experience that I have, and I think that a lot of us do wonder about who are these parents that are so committed to this, such a dangerous sport as we've seen. And, and then there's also such a hyper-feminine quality to it as well. So who are these people? And so when I delve into writing an article like that, I'm going very, very deep down asking questions about the psychological element of them, the cultural element of them, sociological element of them. And so I do the same thing when I'm, when I'm writing a novel. Because I do that with the characters, and I think that that's really important for people to do when they're writing, is when you're looking at your characters. Sometimes you you have this idea of what you want your book to be, and you'll plot the whole thing out, and you'll have it all on paper. And, and I think that is so cool. And believe me, I, like, make so many outlines. I'm like, this is the way my book is going to be. 
and then I outline everything and I've got it all on the note cards and I'm like, I get so fascinated by all those little details and I put those towards the characters as well and building the characters. And I want sometimes to be a certain way or we all want our book to be a certain way. We think that we have it planned out and maybe some people do and they're probably like super successful and can have all these books out once a year. But sometimes it's not what I imagined and my book is telling me to do something else and my characters are telling me to do something else based on the research that I'm doing or delving into that very intense process. And so I think that's really important. Look at your notes. Look at your story. What is your story telling you? Where is it going? Because it might not be going where you think it's going. And maybe you have to do a little bit more work to see where it's going. Even though that's harder to do, you don't necessarily want to do more work. You want it to be over. Books are long, you know? Yeah. And I love what you said, too, about how it's rather than one leading to the other, it's more like a symbiotic relationship where mm-hmm. one will maybe lead to the other. But then as you're writing the book, you start to question cheer mom. So that then leads to a article, which brings you back to the journalism side. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I think that they all kind of lead into each other. I think that that's the probably if I really think about it, that's the one thing about journalism where I'm like, You have to follow the story, you know, and I guess that's so cliche, but it's really true. You do have to sort of follow the story because it might lead you down this one path and you're like, wait a second, that doesn't seem right. Well, it doesn't seem right for a reason because it's not. So you have to be able to listen to yourself. And I think that makes a good writer. I mean, I keep talking about how just real your book and your characters felt. And I think that's probably a big reason why is it feels more like, Rather than this is the story that's been plotted for them, this is what these people would actually do. This is the the path that they'd actually probably follow as real human beings rather than as characters made up to get to an end point, which I think especially in psychological thrillers can be difficult. Sometimes it feels characters can be put in a certain position just so that you can get to that one big moment at the end. Everything these guys did felt very genuine. And there wasn't a moment where I was like, well, that doesn't seem right. I was like, of course, that's what they would do next. Mm. And I loved that. I, I mean, I really appreciate you saying that. There was one iteration of this book that was sort of like Vertigo, like Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. So, like, it was already told what happened right in the middle of the book. Like, you knew what happened. You just were waiting to see how the people were going to react. And that doesn't always work when you're trying to sell a book. I thought it was so cool. I'm like, look, I'm revealing it in the middle. And my editor was like, hmm. I think it would be better if you put it at the end. <laughs> I was having to work for it. It worked that I didn't know what exactly had happened until the end because it allowed me to question things with Shade as she yeah. was, what's going on. I was like, I don't know. You tell me. Right. <laughs> Someone's got to know. Someone's got to know. <laughs> I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. So I want to wrap things up. Where can our listeners learn more about you and your book? Well, you can find me at net. And you can also find me on Instagram. I feel like I'm on Instagram mostly. I'm on Twitter a little bit, but it's all under my name, Haley Crusher. Perfect. Thank you so much for being with us today. It was wonderful getting to speak with you and to learn more about your book and your process. I absolutely loved it. Thank you, Chelsea. This was a great way to spend an afternoon. I'm honored. Thank you. Such great questions. (laughs) Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you for listening. 
Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We're at BookmarkedYA. You can also follow Bookstacked on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you liked the show, don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm at Fluffy Bookmark. I hope you all enjoyed this show, and we will see you next time. Bye.